the Sports Coaching Podcast with Sam Holmshaw. Hi, I'm Geraint Davis and you're listening to the Sports Coaching Podcast with Sam Holmshaw. Okay, welcome to the latest episode of the Sports Coaching Podcast with me, Sam Holmshaw. And I am uh, privileged to be uh, joined by Geraint Davies uh, today on the podcast this evening, eight o'clock on a Monday night, but looking forward to chatting some coaching. How are you doing? How are you? How are you? Yes, very well, thank you. Yeah, settling back into, into school life, which is a, a peculiar thing in itself. It's, uh, <laughs> Can't imagine. Yeah, nice to have uh, something uh, structured back in my life. <laughs> a bit, a bit. Uh, so, you know, I know we've sort of come to the end of this time and who knows, maybe going back into it, but how was the whole Corona situation for you and how did that impact your coaching last last few months? Uh, oh, very odd, like most people, uh, in terms of the kind of the balance of it. It was uh, nice to spend time with my children for a change, uh, which is a, a rarity. Um, but from, from a coaching perspective, and loads of good stuff. I had uh, loads of cool conversations with people that I, I never thought I'd ever speak to. Um, which was uh, like a learned loads from that, um, and then was able to apply it as soon as rugby came back in the summer. Was able to you know apply the theory and then um, thinking towards my kind of my actual day job as a as a head of PE, um, kind of putting that in into into some thought as to how massive opportunity to learn, um, and I've yeah, taken a huge amount from it. Uh, but at the same time, I was slightly frustrated and a, and a lot of stuff you wanted to do, going to see people face to face and I, you know, I experience other people's context, which was absolutely what my summer was was set up to do. Um, it's uh, yeah, didn't get to achieve any of those bits, but it's uh, hopefully in time. Still went okay. No, very cool, very cool. Uh, so yeah, I think you know, starts off. I guess do you want to give us a bit of a, an introduction to your you know co- your coaching background and. Or your teaching background as well, and what sort of led you to to where you are today? Yeah, um, I, I coached from when I was seventeen. Um, I started coaching when I was at college, um, which I was uh, very fortunate to do. So I went to college in Clatley, a place called College of Gar uh, in Clatley, uh, in South Wales, uh, and there the opportunity to study sports science uh, as well as play. So I played in the Scarlet Academy for a couple of years. Um, and kind of all the way through, really, all the way through my life, I've suffered with various injuries, and uh, like like a lot of people do. My uh, I, when I do injuries, I do them properly. Um, didn't didn't tend to pick up too many niggly ones, but if I had an injury, it tend to keep me out for months on end. Um, so when coaching came about, is it? I suppose it was that stable thing in my life. Um, it didn't matter if I was on crutches, or it didn't matter if I was kind of unable to walk properly or see straight. Uh, I felt I felt I could still coach. Um, and yeah, I loved it from the outset. It was uh, it was that bit of stability, um, rugby-wise, that, that I, I definitely needed as, as when I was young um, in those kind of periods of when I couldn't play. Um, but then pretty quickly, I just I developed a real passion for it, um, and and I thought this, the same thing ever since, really. In that, I, I don't see coaching as a replacement for playing. I, I see it as a different part of the game, and and I love it for what it is. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't replace or replicate anything. It, it, it's its own. Own wonderful thing. Um, then went to university, uh, course at university all the way through my time at Loughborough um, as a student, and uh, and then this was the big kicker for me. Is I went to Jamaica in two thousand and six for two months. I, I coached uh, literally in every environment possible out there. Um, so kind of right right in the out in the towns, um, right around the country where there was you know very very little uh, other than some kind of patches of mud um, or, or or dirt rather. Um, and it was incredible how uh, how rugby was a massive part of their culture, um, particularly in the places that had the least uh, least amount of anything. Um, 
and that uh, that's what that probably cemented for me that that was you know courtroom was going to be it for me. I had experienced international courtroom for the first time with the kind of see, with the men's and the women's teams, um, and then came back, uh, took my first head coach job for the first students women's team when I, when I got back, um, and then onwards from there really kind of coached pretty not nonstop uh, alongside my day job working at Loughborough University. Um, and then decided to go into teaching. Um, so after three years of being a rugby development officer and coaching pretty much anywhere I could coach, um, do my level three, which I did when I was 22, and then decided that um, I was pretty passionate about education, um, that I, I desperately wanted to further myself as a, as a coaching professional. Um, and teaching just made perfect sense. Um, so I became a teacher. Uh, went, went to Cheltenham College, uh, I was there for a couple of years, which I loved. Um, and then eventually that landed me uh, at Hartbury College, where I worked for four years. Uh, and a big part of that was coaching in Gloucester Rugby. Um, mm-hmm. So I got the, uh, became the lead academy coach for Gloucester Rugby in 2011. Wow. Um, and again, it, kind of every one of those things that happened just, I suppose, further motivated me to want to do more and more. And my, my first game... Uh, for with Gloucester for the under 18s uh, was against Canada at King's Home. Um, so and that those kind of opportunities, they I don't know, every everything like that's happened in my life has uh, has made me just have a desperate thirst for more of that. Um, so yeah, that's that's a lot where the drive comes from is to you know achieve as much as I can achieve and work with uh, work with as many enthusiastic people as possible. Um, and then moved back up to Leicester, um, where I've been for the last four years as a, as a head of P and games at an at a independent school and um, coaching a, cl- a club rugby, uh, done some county coaching and um, maintained my kind of life as a, as a coach developer as well, which, uh, which is another part of my life that I'm quite, pretty passionate about in helping other coaches and uh, helping them to realise their, uh, their own dreams as well. So, um, yeah, that's a, that's a fairly, fairly quick, hopefully, rundown of uh, the last 15 years or so. <laughs> <laughs> coaching journey no uh, no fantastic uh, really re- really interesting background actually and I always find it interesting uh, coaches and or teachers who are or both the same you know a teacher and a coach and the overlap and the, the differences and, and similarities uh, in between I mean you know just on that do you find yeah, yeah. yeah it was interesting it was um, when I was uh, when I, I've always thought myself as a coach I certainly did when I was much younger Um and then when I went into teaching, I essentially applied all of my coaching ideas to my teaching, teaching. Um, and it was it was very much that way around yeah. that my I was a I was a coach in the classroom essentially, um, and I'd uh, all of my ideas, all of the ways that I taught were everything I thought about on the field. So high activity levels, lots of involvement, high levels of questioning. Um, individuals taking responsibility for their learning everything that i took i, I believe firmly in, in from a coaching perspective yeah i applied that to teaching um and then after two years of teaching i did my pgc and my world changed um and, it, and i and that, that's that this people would say but um knowledge knowledge is knowing what you don't know um and that was uh that was very much the truth for me so i i, uh, I did a part-time pgc while teaching um and that was a massive, you know, to use the cliche term, that was a massive journey uh, and really transformational in terms of my, my uh, realisation of how little I knew before. Um, and then it all flipped. So then you learn about learning theory, you learn uh, how to actually teach properly <laughs> or what is, uh, what is effective at least. Um, and that then changed my perspective of coaching. Yeah. Um, and the, I've probably gone through a few kind of transformations like that, really. Um, so... 
in terms of what, where I see where I see them now, I do see them as different. I think mm-hmm. like, contextually they're different in the in the power relationships are very different between a teacher and a coach. I think um, I think the type of relationship you can build with those you're you're working with are, are quite different. Um, mainly, actually, largely because of the power relationship between uh, within the different roles. Um, and now I just see the two as really, uh, really supportive of each other. Um, I think, uh, yeah, they're hugely beneficial to each other. One, one isn't better than the other. They, I actually, I don't think they're the same, but I think they're hugely complementary. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, I've, I've definitely benefited from from doing both at the same time. Mm. Uh, that's really interesting, actually. And uh, now you mentioned contextually different, and it's always interesting me being. Uh, you know, coaching a teacher and, and how that overlaps and how your perspective or your viewpoint change. Uh, yeah, no, so I say really, really interesting background, but uh, you've also done, and you know, potentially giving away our topic today of discussion, but you also do a lot of analysis work, which I've had quite a look on, on Twitter and you, and you post that quite regularly, uh, mm-hmm. which is really detailed and really interesting, especially for me, who's not a big rugby fan, but took a bit of an interest in it last uh, couple of months. So just tell us a bit about your analysis work and, and what all that's about. Yeah, the um, I suppose my my life since leaving uh, leaving Gloucester uh, has been quite different. Um, I, uh, I left a, a pretty elite environment, working with some you know, outrageously talented young men and women, um, to then move into a very uh, community based environment um, where there's lots you know, lots of wonderful people uh, who work at a different level of the, level of the game. Um, and if I'm honest, I, I needed I needed an outlet for my for my imagination. Uh, <laughs> I was uh, while I absolutely love I love coaching the community level. Um, my uh, I suppose my desire to I suppose uh, work with the elite level of, of the game is you know, that, that that hasn't that hasn't waned in any way. Um, just because I'm not in that environment anymore doesn't mean to say that, that I don't think still think like that. Um, so the I suppose the, a lot of the analysis work is. It enables me an outlet to uh, to look at things I'm really passionate about, um, and then I decided last October, in fact, almost almost a year ago, um, after the uh, Rugby World Cup semi final, I decided that I was going to post one of the videos I'd made because um, I've, I've made them since kind of 2011, 2012. We're just working with players, um, mm-hmm. trying to help somebody develop their knowledge and something. So I'd, I'd make them a little video. Um, so I decided that I'd post it. Um, and it, you know, got some. I suppose a pretty positive response, uh, and a lot of people seem to buy into it. And, and then the engagement that came from it, and that's that's really what I'm. That's, that's what I love about it. The it's it's the opportunity to speak to people who you don't see see day to day. Um, I'm, you know, ninety nine percent of people are really pleasant and really challenging in a good way. Um, and I and I love that. Um, and the one percent who are not so it's uh, you just take that as a uh, as maybe goes to the territory <laughs> <laughs> fantastic uh yeah no uh re- really interesting background thank you very much for sharing uh and yeah the the, the analysis work is is something i'm i'm really interested in it's, it's actually something where i guess in my role now where uh, we've just introduced a performance analysis and i'm mm-hmm. diving into this world and and trying to understand the usage and everything. So mm-hmm. really looking forward to our conversation today, which is going to be about essentially the importance of performance analysis and, and using that within your coaching practice. So the sports coaching podcast with Sam Holmshaw. And I should say for the listeners, I'm, I'm going to call him G because I'm, I'm struggling to pronounce <laughs> his, uh, his first name, which we've agreed is okay. So uh, if I <laughs> throughout this, uh, you know, you can have a little chuckle at me, but uh, 
Jay, I guess to start us off and, you know, from your perspective and your experience and, you know, I guess going to your time at Gloucester as well, what is, or what's the introduction about a performance analysis? What is it? Why is it there for? Why, why do we need it? Particularly as coaches. Yeah, well, I suppose my, my headline is the coaching without analysis, in my opinion, is coaching blind. You're, uh, you, you've got, you see what you see in the moment. Um, but but that that comes preloaded, and any observation that occurs in the moment is loaded with preconceptions, uh, with whatever obscurity of thought you had at that particular time, uh, and then post reflection as a wonderful way of distorting reality. Yeah. Um, and that's that that in the simplest terms is why I think that uh, video analysis itself uh, is incredibly powerful. Um, it enables you to challenge what you think you saw. My, my biggest statement when I watch something is that I think I saw this. So when I, when I talk to players at half-time even, and if I, if I haven't seen any video, my, I'm pretty open to say, I, I think this is happening. Um, I won't know when it's really happening. I don't say this at the time, but I don't know that's happening uh, until later on, until I look at the video. Um, and it's so often that you look at something that you thought had happened and actually there was something else that caused it. Um, and in coaching terms, to if you're going to, you know, the ro- our role as coaches is to is to develop individuals, to develop their performance, um, with with all the various components of of performance. It's really hard to do that if you're working on either imperfect or inaccurate information. Um, imperfect is just the nature of human beings. So we, we will make an observation, and it will be imperfect in some way. If we can up the percentage of that imperfection. Uh, by by using some video, I think that's pretty powerful. Um, and then performance analysis as a as a bigger domain. Um, video analysis being a you can you can be a video analyst without being a performance analyst. Um, a, a performance analyst is then looking more deeply in, into information. So I, that's when statistical analysis is becomes a part of it. I think you can do some incredible video work without doing any statistical work um, or pick up any kind of physiological data. Um, when you start to add that to it, depending on the level of the game that individuals are working at, that's uh, that gives you that extra layer. Yeah. So even with video, I can I can have a perception of the cause of an event. Just using something as simple as GPS data, that can completely, completely change my perspective of what I think I saw. So I thought I saw somebody who is you know, technically uh, imperfect. Um, you look at the GPS data, heart rate is absolutely through the roof. They've just done three maximal bouts with very, very little rest in the five minutes previous. Uh, they were held on the floor struggling to get up, which I couldn't see on the video. Yeah. So all of a sudden, this massive spike in heart rate has then changed my perspective of, well, technically, <laughs> technically, I don't, I, I'm surprised they managed to lift their arms under that level of fatigue, never mind try and catch a ball. So, um, and then we question, well, if that person's under that level of fatigue, why were they in that position? Can we tactically get somebody else in that position if they've gone through these maximal boats? Can we rest them somewhere? And yeah. so strategically, it can have a huge impact. Um, you know, in an ideal world, if you've got your props in a, in a rugby context, you've got your props working really hard at scrum, three, three reset, reset scrums, and then somebody's called a play that involves them getting on the ball within 20 seconds of that. It's probably not the best idea in the world. Like we've, we've got to give them an opportunity to have 20, 30 seconds recovery quite possibly. Um, so the play we choose next 
is going to follow that. And a performance analysis gives us that level of detail, um, which we wouldn't necessarily have. We just, I think there's a little assumption otherwise. So we've got to have something that gives us some form of fact. I mean, I'm a massive believer that there's no such thing as truth in, uh, in, rea- in <laughs> it's, it's just a perception of truth. Yeah. Um, and it, it, just, it just helps us with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, uh, no, like, that's a really interesting insight actually uh, to start us off in, what I find really interesting, what you were just saying there is, you know, it's almost your, your preconceptions about what you thought you saw and how, you know, what you think you saw can be biased with your opinion and that idea about when you're trying to recall information, well, every time you then re-recall it, you've not remembered it, it's slightly mm-hmm. changed. And, 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 and that's really interesting, actually, especially from, you know, when you think about the coach's decisions and, and their decision-making process and the information mm-hmm. they're reliant on to, to make an in-game decision and, and such. And, you know, I've never actually really thought about how important it is to, you know, actually look at what has actually been seen rather than recalling on your memory. And, you know, and I guess, and again, from the performance analysis point of view, I suppose you've got different perceptions as well now, especially with technology and, and seeing at different mm-hmm. viewpoints and, and the information that gives you. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's that's really really interesting, uh, you know. And and I guess you've you've, you've kind of covered there, or, or started to in, started to go into sorry the the importance of this within coaching. But like I say, for me coming from a I guess a grassroots and amateur level at the minute, I mean, I've never really you know been exposed to that, and, and I just find it fascinating really, and how important that could be for the decision making process. Yeah, I think for me it's applicable at all levels. The you know, I wouldn't expect to be gathering GPS data for an under 11s team. I mean, mm. there's 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 a level that is appropriate yeah. depending on age you're working at, and indeed um, the level of performance you're working at. Yeah. Um, but my as was my approach is regardless of the level I'm I'm working at, I I will go into as much detail as I can for my own my own understanding of what's going on. Yeah. I then will be really selective as to how I put that across and what I put across. Yeah. So I, I might gather a huge amount from, from, a, from a particular game. Um, it's then been able to, simplexity would be the, the theoretical term mm-hmm. of uh, choosing what is most relevant, making that seem simple out of what is an incredibly complex environment. Um, and that's, I think that's the art of, of good coaching at any level. I mean, that, that applies at the elite level. There's still a... There's going to be some kind of filtering down of, of what it is that you've seen. Um, and then thinking, well, what's, what's our objective? What are we trying to achieve as a coach with this particular team? If, if it's to improve their performance, then I mean, in simple terms, you, you're trying to find uh, some form of performance advantage somewhere. Um, in a football context, that might be that you're, you feel that you could play a really good possession game. So the most simple use of analysis, well, let's have a look. Like, what's our, what is our possession like on a, on a very really basic level? That in itself will give you some, some feedback as to the, you, you, were, you have a perception of the way you want to play the game. Is that actually happening? And then what are the determinants? Where do we lose the ball? Um, do, we, do we lose it in accurate passing? Are we losing the ball because of uh, being tackled on the ball? Why, why is that happening? Um, and those are all the questions we can start to ask and answer by using either statistical or video analysis or in an ideal world, you use a mixture of the two. Yeah. Yeah. And <clears throat> so, you know, working, working back on just, on just what you've just said there, you know, you, you talk about simplicity and, and again, it, it's, you know, just, just sat here talking to you and I'm just thinking about me yesterday, uh, 
you know, coaching uh, in the game. And, you know, we, I'm thinking about, you know, the, the whole idea of a game modeling football or performance model that, you know, we call them in sports, particularly uh, what we do on the master's course. Those can be so uh, specific in certain areas of the pitch or, you know, certain ways we want to do in, in this uh, phase of the game or this phase of the game. And, you know, I would say that my model is quite detailed, but then, when you're trying to almost assess those principles that you're trying to see, you know, when I'm sat thinking about on yesterday's performance, well, I couldn't tell you really, when we play a possession game, where we were losing that ball because I just can't recall. And then you, that changes every time again, as we were saying earlier. So, yeah. you know, to me, the whole, you know, benefit even, you know, just what you're just saying there is it, it's kind of giving you more detailed information about the stuff you're saying, you know, the specifics of the pitch and how we're going to improve to, get to where we actually want to be in quite a detailed form yeah i think um I, I, for me it also helps your performers to in terms of game understanding it, yeah. it has a massive influence and why yeah. I, I don't think there's a cut off in terms of age as that video analysis can be effective um but there's you've got to be really i suppose careful depending on the ages so I, I would say that kind of 14 years and up is is about right in terms of uh of performers Properly getting into the, the into performance, but seeing yourself on, on film, regardless of age, uh, can have a huge impact on your understanding of of what happened. Just like it does for the coach, yeah. I think the, the performers seeing themselves and then being able to think about like what like when you ask a player, what did you see? Yeah. Most players will really struggle with that. Yeah. I mean, if they're particularly and, uh, ironically, that some of the higher level players will struggle with that even more. Yeah. But and why is it their, skill, their skills are autonomous yeah. they're performing actions without uh, without too much thought at the time yeah. and actually making them recall it sometimes can actually make them make them hesitate and, and kind of infringe on their performance so showing them a video that in itself can help them to visualize for themselves um, which I think is I think is more powerful than uh, than a lot of questioning that, that goes on in sessions yeah yes definitely and yeah, it, it is interesting that when you think about, you know, players' decision-making, often it's quite subconscious, natural, you know, then very rarely, maybe just certain points of the game, conscious about a decision they're going to make because, you know, end of the day, the performance, they recreate those decisions. And mm -hmm. yeah, again, that, that, that's really interesting, you know, what have you, what did you do in this moment? You're right, they can't actually really recall it. And then especially, you know, going back to you as the coach and you're trying to develop their game understanding, well, if they haven't got a clear picture in their head, that's already a problem. So no, that, that's that, that's really fascinating, actually, and something I've never really thought too much about. And actually, seeing your own performance must make it so much simpler. You know, I, I, yeah. I imagine for me, there's, there's some some cool stuff around on uh, with virtual reality, uh, virtual reality goggles, and been able mm -hmm. to see. And we see a lot of this in, in NFL. Some really cool stuff in NFL, actually, um, with quarterbacks being able to wear the goggles in, in whatever room they're in, being able to see the pitch. And I think that's, that's incredibly powerful. Um, and it you know, fits within that performance analysis domain. Um, and I think video can do that for, for players at all levels and ages. Um, it's not to say the sub-performers, however, uh, that they, they can recall vividly every moment and every detail of what they saw. That's not to say that sub-players can't do that. Um, mm -hmm. But even some of the best players I've coached who... Current, uh, current internationals and people uh, like to play for the Lions, they, they, they couldn't answer that question. It doesn't mean that they're a worse player, um, but they, they couldn't answer that question in any detail. And 
for them seeing the video just yeah. changes their world and they're oh yeah i can see it now like that, that i can i can see what i need to improve and yeah. job done yeah yeah fascinating fascinating yeah i mean uh, i mean i guess we've started to discuss it there but you know if i just move us on slightly i guess you know going back into the whole idea of, of coaching practice you know what are or, or, or why is it so important i mean I, you know just as we've chatted there we've gone over it slightly but what is the real importance of the idea of performance analysis you know like you say in all contexts and all levels in, in coaching practice in particular and when we think about coaches decisions and their planning delivery and, and reflection process yeah i think the i think one big area of, of it is uh, the actual practice design itself um, and obviously i've seen a lot of your stuff with the uh, with the game model uh, and representative design that's essentially video allows you directly to do that so i i i take my practices directly from things that happen in in the game um so the just this example of uh, you you see you see a rack set up and you see see how uh, performers are experiencing the game in in reality it's replicating that as best as possible in training but a lot of the practices we do in training can be so they can seem realistic and they can and even games like you, can, you play games in training you think that this is you know so wonderful it's a game but if it's not representative of the game then in my opinion it's 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 just not worthwhile you you if there's no if you can't transfer into the competitive domain i'm struggling with this purpose um in for my my own uh, you know my own time if i i got three hours with the players per week um i'm not prepared to spend any any minute of that that is not something that i feel will Im, uh, improve their performance yeah. um so it's a video allows to do that. So look at the video, look at the determinants, um, what are the what are the stresses the players are under, what's the time that these things are taking. Um, so even even knowing that a a player, so if I, if I take my seven as an example, he will make between fifteen and twenty tackles per game. He will on maybe maybe one occasion in an entire eighty minute period make more than two tackles consecutively. Yeah. So in training, when we're doing 10 tackles consecutively, you've got to seriously question that. Yeah. Is, like, how, how have I managed the physical demands of making 10 full-on tackles? It's huge. Am I expecting them to go back into gameplay after? Um, after they've just done that? I mean, that, that's a huge level of uh, physical strain they've just been placed under, which is twice as much strain yeah. as they are as they will be placed under in any circumstance on, on a Saturday. Yeah. So like, what are, the, what are the actual physical demands? Yeah. Like, what they needed to do was make two tackles absolutely flat out, be held down for 10 seconds, and then have to sprint 50 meters. That's actually what they needed to do. Yeah. That's what they're going to be good at. Yeah. And on their way, they've also got to link with other players. They've also got to be able to connect and get into good defensive shape. Yeah. Um, that they've got to be good at. Um, yeah. They don't have to be good at making 10 tackles in a row. That's, that's maybe... That's, that at full intensity, that is. I mean, it's not to say they're not going to make ten tackles within a, a, an area, but I'm I'm really mindful of uh, how much intensity we apply to that, and, yeah. and what's the what type of tackle are we practicing? I mean, is yeah. is that type representative of that player? Um, yeah. So yeah, that a, a video allows me to literally directly. I'll, I'll I'll take a snapshot of a game. How what 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 does it look like? Where do players come from? And that lit that exact thing becomes the practice training session yeah yeah and you know when you think about that whole idea of representativeness and i think 
you know, the level of detail you've just gone into there, when I think representativeness, I think, right, it's got to be the same game environment. It's got to be in the same area of the pitch. Uh, you know, tactically, it has to represent the game model in this area. And that's probably what I've been doing for the last three months. But, you know, you're mentioning about uh, stats. You're, you're mentioning about how many times are they tackling in that particular moment, you know, why do we get players to do 10 tackles for a minute when we're maybe going to make one or two in that second and then reposition and do it again? Fascinating. And I think that is probably where we think about this representativeness and, and what it means. And that's probably the detail that coaches don't realise how important that actually is. And, you know, like you say, physical exertion and, you know, to me, I see a lot of practice design and, you know, not to knock it because, you know, obviously we're all, we're all on our own journeys, coaches, but it doesn't even represent the exertion that's going to occur in that game. And then you have coaches, and this is where I think coaching goes a bit wrong, you know, not understanding and maybe having a go at players that yeah, but you, your practice hasn't represented the game. So how can we expect them to do that? And, you know, and, and again, I, I suppose, you know, linking this back to the whole idea of performance analysis, it is giving you that in-depth understanding of what your game environment is. You know, not just technically, tactically, physically. Uh, you could even maybe say psychosocially and, and, and psychologically as well from, from what you're seeing in the environment. And, you know, it's like, uh, listen to Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer and, and he said, you know, what they do in training, uh, they, they referee badly. Now, people, yeah. why do you do that? But that might represent the game on the Sunday when they've had a bad ref and how do they react to that? And it's even mm-hmm. stuff like that that represents the game environment. So Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and... Those type of examples. That was a very good podcast. I listened to with that one actually, um, with uh, with Ollie. Um, yeah. And that, that's that's real. I mean, uh, we can we can throw stuff into training that's like incredibly random. Um, but personally, I'm just I'm not seeing the I'm not seeing the relevance of things that are like off the wall. Um, I mean, like some some crazy things can happen in, in in competition. But like, what are we? If you want people to get uh, get good at doing something. Um, and you want that to transfer into the competitive domain, it, you've got to make some kind of realism to it. And that's not to say that I, like, I, I um, there was definitely a time where I went through where I didn't, uh, I only coached through games, 100% through games. Uh, I reckon it's the worst coach I've ever been. Um, and I'm, I am very much more balanced these, these days. Uh, and I've seen the merits of that. Um, I, was, I was a much, much better coach in the years before that. Uh, and I hope I'm a better coach since. Um, so even in, like, I, I'm more than happy to do block practice. N- no issues whatsoever, um, which it, it is is something that's just gone through a period of time of being distorted from its actual purpose. Um, in, in my own opinion, I, I can, if I, if I do a really repetitive static practice we are doing it with this with a uh, with the direct purpose that i want whatever it is that we're doing i want that to transfer mm-hmm. um and, the, and i suppose that's the art of coaching is that you've got to you've got to work out what those things are what the merit in them are um help players to see the merit um and give the best to transfer uh, and if you find that go back in, into a game or whatever and you're not seeing any performance improvement then you know, over time at least you've got to suggest well okay that particular practice was no good doesn't matter who was blocked and otherwise whether it was a bit random it doesn't matter what type of practice it was yeah. if it doesn't transfer then it is it, the practice was at fault um, and you, then you amend uh, <laughs> and adapt yeah 
Yeah, well, 100% agree with you there. And, uh, you know, I think people think I hate block practice and, and I don't. And you're right. It, if, if that's achieving what you need to do in representing the game from your data, then, you know, block practice is great. And I think, you know, you mentioned just before you spoke about, uh, you mentioned your contacts and you said, you know, if, if, I'm, if I've got three hours a week with this team, you know, everything needs to be, it needs to be worthwhile. And again, and I think that's maybe something that, you know, again, just from my experience, uh, you know, your level one, level two courses might not give coaches that understanding. But, you know, it might be great, you know, in football, working on passing or session. But if you don't need that from what you're seeing, then it is a waste of time when you could be working on something else, whatever that might be, technical, tactical, physical, you know, and, and I, I can see already and being able to, to physically see going back to, you know, your videos and your analysis that helps with that representation process so much more because, you know, again, when I think about when I've been using uh, concepts such as like, you know, nonlinear pedagogy or tactical periodization, it essentially says represent the game. Again, for me, well, I've only got what I'm seeing and mainly that's a tact uh, tactical side. So, you know, mm -hmm. if I, you know, if I were to be honest, I've not even really considered any of the physical side because probably lacking that data and, and memory recollection to go, Oh, actually here, in this phase of the game, maybe we need to just do a bit of sprinting work or whatever. So, yeah, really interesting. Yeah, I mean, the, like some some of the skills you could practice. Uh, you, I see coaches doing like a twenty-minute block of fitness and then putting people under fatigue back in the gameplay. And I, I struggle a bit with that, if I'm honest, because even the fatigue that they're under at that point, it still doesn't replicate actually the the fatigue that they then going to face on the weekend. So. Like what caused that fatigue is even important. Like what were the what were the different variables that occurred within that six minute period that caused that level of fatigue? And one of the hardest things, in my own opinion, one of the hardest things you can do in a game of rugby union is to be in a mall. Yeah. If like a mall that is highly physical is is knackering, physically knackering, yeah. and then you've got to get back into the game from it. Well. You don't, need, you don't even need to be running with 200 meters. Like, just put me in a mole for 30 seconds and that, <laughs> your fatigue is job done. Uh, then, then we put back in the gameplay. And, and that, that is representative. That, that is the reality of what happens in the game. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're so right. And, you know, I know in football coaching, uh, there's, there's always a stigma that you have to, particularly in pre-season, it always has to be physical work, you know, lots of sprints, etc. Spending a session on sprinting, uh, maximum... Uh, you know, working hard and, and I can't think of what the word is top of my head, but you're right. If you're only making a couple of sprints in a game at, at certain moments and the most of the time you're walking, for example, then like you say, it, it's, it doesn't represent the game. And yeah, I, you know, again, I just find it really fascinating that, you know, the whole analysis side allows you to just go into that bit extra detail just to see a bit more, well, what do I actually need to just maybe implement into my practice design here and here and here that's going to benefit my team on the Sunday and or, or whenever your game day is and then you know I don't think coaches realize how powerful that little bit of information actually is just just bringing in and will help with that performance or, or where you could trying to get to in, in terms of your vision mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's um I, I think some of the barriers in a way sometimes can be the perception of cost of the uh, of software and so on like literally, like my phone is my. I've I've gone seasons just filming filming games, filming sessions on my phone, yeah. clip it on my phone, send it to the players. It, it's it, it can be so simple and be and be really effective. Um, 
and then as it, as they change uh, or alter your perception of what you think you saw, give a little bit of fact. Um, but then even even video can be biased. I mean, you can like with any statistic as our uh, as our government proof with any with any statistic you can manipulate it. Uh, and you can I can I can manipulate video. I mean, if I if I desperately wanted to, if I wanted to tell a story and manipulate to my own perspective, I, I can I can do that. Um, I do my very best not to. Uh, but you always you always carry your own. It doesn't remove your bias, um, and that's where you know triangulation as a as a concept is is a, is a across all of education and learning uh, you've got to get the perspectives uh, different thing and different individuals different things to to, to paint the whole picture um there's many many heuristics uh, you can have the, the better really yeah definitely you know and i think a final point before we move on uh, so I, i've realized a lot in you know my latest role uh with, with, with the women's team i'm i'm coaching at the minute I'll, there's been a lot of times I've been trying to explain something that to me is very similar, a sim, a, sorry, a simple tactical concept. And they're going, yeah, 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 yeah. And then they go and perform and they have no idea. And I've recently started just getting clips of, so I'm a big fan of the Ajax philosophy. That's where we're trying to want to get to. So I show them a, a little clip like that, which to me is obvious from my understanding of the game. And that just makes so much difference to them being able, ah, we understand what you mean now. Yeah. They can just go in and implement that themselves. And, that's so powerful. And I guess that's not even the analysis side, but from just having that video of a game of something I want to implement, that then we can go and perform that into the game. No, really fascinating. The Sports Coaching Podcast with Sam Holmshaw. So, you know, I guess if, if we move on to our final point, I'm a bit wary, it's uh, five to nine on a, on a Monday night. <laughs> well, uh, but no, I, I guess, you know, for coaches, and, and I guess in any context, but from your experience and you know what you do in your own coaching how do we begin to implement some of these ideas of performance analysis what can we start doing within our own coaching that's going to help us have that representative practice design should we say uh, well, for me the the best way to start is to start simple i mean it's the most obvious statement but a, a lot of uh, so many people just go absolutely flat out they get every bit of equi expensive equipment under the sudden they set up a massive notation analysis sheet yeah. And, they, and it's not sustainable. Yeah. Um, the first thing that anybody gets into performance analysis for the first time realizes is that it's really bloody hard uh, yeah. and it takes up masses of time. So thinking as, as basic as is possible is, is already better than nothing. So like, I, mean, I mean, the most fundamental thing I think that any, any uh, person can do is, well, two things really. Uh, number one is record as much video as you can, but don't be stressed if you can't do it all. Yeah. So get, just get some film Yeah. Uh, and get that film in a way that is the easiest way for you as an individual to share. Yeah. Uh, so like some of the simple things that will catch people out is if, if you film on a camcorder, as an example, getting the film off a camcorder is a process. That's, yeah. um, it's, it's a pain of a process. Um, so, I avoid that at all costs. I mean, yeah. I, if we if we film anything with camcorder, that I'm not doing it. Um, that's that's going to somebody else uh, who's got significantly more time than me. Um, if, if I'm going to do something with a video, I'll do it on my phone. So I'll, um, so re record as much footage as possible in a way that is the easiest possible to get that footage from the device. Yeah. Um, and then the second thing to get cracking with is. P 
pick your major instances, yeah. pick, pick your major parts of your game um, and run your statistics on them. And the statistic could be as simple as uh, for the next five minute period, we're going we're gonna to count how many passes across the floor. And that's it. So you, you log on your sheet of paper um, and it can be done live or it can be done from, from the video. Um, minute nine to minute 14, uh, how many passes across the floor? Mm. You, you might, you know, if you can get more than that, that'd be great. Um, and that in itself is a really simple place to start. You might then, so within though, let's say you come up with, we made 20 passes across the floor in that five minutes. Well, what does that mean? Uh, we gave away three intercepts mm. out of those 20 passes. And all of a sudden, You've started to become a performance analyst. You've you've now got um, you've got some numbers uh, that you, you need to assign some value to, and that's where you look at the video and you say, well, okay, so what's happening? Uh, was this the same person three times? Was this the same place? Was this different people? Um, and all of a sudden, that then starts to uh, change your your thought as to well, when we're practicing, why are those interception passes being given? What are they not seeing? is the practice that we do in the looks of passing actually making us worse footballers and that might be the case are they are they not seeing these blindsiders who break into line as part of their defensive system um are they not seeing that and if they're not it's probably it's probably your fault in reality as a, as a coach because you've you've maybe not you not you maybe helped them to see everything other than that um so yeah from a from a basic that's that's a really basic fundamental way to start Get some video. Um, and pick all the instances, the things you really want to want to record. So for, for rugby, I'll, I'll record how many scrums you had, how many lineouts, whether you won that scrum or won the lineout. Um, I'll record every penalty and the cause of the penalty. I'll record every error and the cause of the error um, as a basic, and then go into decent and more detail off that but those kind of just in major in major instances that will give me some information that is that is useful to me yeah yeah and, and um, I, I really like that keep it simple I think people think you have to record the full game and go into every single thing you've seen and in reality you know how contextual is that how appropriate is that for our context you know something that I've started doing in the last two weeks is uh, you know, in terms of our uh, mental model, if we call it, and what we do in each phase of the game, we have you know a couple of principles. And I'll just get my assistant coach just to look at that one principle. So that might be uh, possession in the final third, how many passes have we made? Just focus on that. And then when we go into the training session and that principle is the topic of our training session, that's that bit of data first. And that is really, really useful as compared to when we've not used it before. And you know, that's me following the the idea of tactical periodization, working on your principles in the game. But mm-hmm. but you're right. You know, it's like when when we've done this on the masters and and had our uh, game model and and how we assess that. They said such just little bits, and people think no, you need to do everything. Like you say, you don't. That little bit of information is so important. And again, just to informing your training. Again, the the representative practice time that we've gone over. Uh, so powerful. And and I think the other key thing you say as well is doesn't actually have to be video recorded notational analysis great great data great way of especially in you know junior context or mm-hmm. uh, amateur where we might not have that equipment available that's still mm-hmm. analysis still, still yeah, yeah. really helpful i mean particularly for half time i mean uh, we get that short snippet of time where some players will take zero information 
some players are desperate for loads. I mean, if, if you can just give some highline thoughts of, I mean, your perception can be, oh, well, I know it's been terrible this half. Uh, or you could say that your, you know, your your corner's been awful, and then you look at your stats like, oh well, we've only had three. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, we played forty-five minutes, we've had three corners, and yet all that's in my head is how terrible our corners have been. Mm. We actually, we we lo- fair enough, we lost two of them, but come on, we only had three. That's mm. uh, <laughs> yes, they those two were were pretty bad, but there was forty-two and a half minutes other than that that have occurred in that half. There must be something else. So just getting those basic. Um, those basic numbers that can help you to just just kind of calm yourself a little bit. And then you might decide at half time, do you know what? I'm not even gonna talk about Connors. Wild has clearly bothered me and it's on my mind. Let's park that. Let's talk about the four free kicks that we've given for uh for going in for tackles too excited. Um let's let's just let's just uh kind of hold our space a little bit. Um they're turning the ball over. They're going for long kicks. Well, keep them going for long kick because we've won five possessions when when they kick long. Well, let's do more of that. And yeah, so basic stats can completely change your perception of what feedback is useful to those players. Definitely. And in the end of the day, if you go back to that coach's decision making uh, point, it, it like you say, it's it's giving the relevant facts relevant to that game in that particular moment. And again, and you're so right, that can be so lost. You know, I've done it myself. You, you know, why, why have we, we're awful at corners today. Assistant manager, we've only had two. <laughs> you know, and yeah. we're all guilty of doing that and focusing on that, that actually in that five minutes we have to give some important information if we're trying to win that game. Well, really, is that relevant? Is that what they need to hear when we know that players can only take on so much information anyway? And again, to me, it's just, it's almost smarter coaching. In a way, if that's the right, if, if that's the right term to say, for me, it is smarter coaching. I, I was I started off with uh, working without any form analysis, working blind. It's we are like effectively we're making we're making stuff up. If yeah. if we're not using any form analysis, I and I genuinely believe that, and I say that for myself. Uh, there's still games now and environments where I I coach and we haven't used analysis or, or with it. And my and I'm very consciously aware at the time that some stuff I'm saying. I, I don't know if it's hundred percent true. I mean, some of the school games, uh, and, and in that case, I'm more tentative with it, and I'm more inclined to, um, to as was to, to just encourage players to, you know, to to do what they feel is working at any particular point, or suggest ideas. But certainly, to impress and strong opinion of you know this is this is what's happening. I'm going with my own mind that I'm only I'm only going to be partially correct with what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, and and to me as well, it's you know as we said before, it's getting rid of that. Oh, sorry, not getting rid, but it's it's uh, minimizing that bias. You know, especially you know, coaches, uh, we have our own information from our own experiences, and and sometimes that can really cloud our judgment and our perception and what we see and, and what we think, and and of course that then impacts our decisions and and, and what we're saying at these half times or our in game moments, and and to me. It, it, it is really reducing or helping to reduce that that bias and you know like you say say what we see which sounds so yeah. easy but like you say it isn't and you know and it's like they always say in football it, the game's a matter of opinions and if you think of, again going to perception it is and people can yeah. see different things and players will see a different thing to a manager because a manager stood here whereas a player's actually on the game and and you know I, really fascinating really uh to to me, like 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 we've just said there, it 
it's it's just making you utilize what your strengths, what you need to say, and and what's relevant in that moment to that game to me. Uh, so yeah, I don't know if there's any concluding thoughts. Yeah, this was my my uh, headline and all of it is that some analysis is better than none. Yeah. Um, the as a as an individual that we, we will always have a, a perspective it's, and it's just been able to enrich that perspective with as men, as much information as is possible. Yeah. Um, and we'll, we'll always come up with a conclusion. Uh, we'll never quite know where that conclusion is correct, but it's got far more likelihood of being correct if we've taken more viewpoints uh, and we've got, we've got more information essentially to, to feed into it. And, and that goes for, you know, I suppose all, all walks of life. Um, and sometimes you're going to make, uh, on the flip side of it, sometimes you've got, you've got to make a snap to judgment. Yeah. Um, and from my opinion, even that snap judgment will be better informed with the experience of what's gone before. Yeah. So you've, you've learned loads more. And when you've got to make a decision, and, and this happens to us all, um, high pressure, there's, you've just got to do it. In that moment, you've got to make a decision whether it's right or wrong, you've got to do it. I, I actually think you're more informed in that exact moment because of what's gone before and, and yeah, being maybe more analytical uh, beforehand. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, Fasc- fascinating discussion. Uh, I've, I've fully enjoyed that uh, this evening. Um, yeah, no, re- really, really, really interesting insight from you. Um, no, really good stuff. So, I, you know, I guess for, for all, all the... Uh, everyone listening, all the coaches listening, uh, you know, if they want to have a bit of a discussion with this or get in contact, what's the best way to, uh, to get in contact with you? Uh, Twitter, probably um, at Davis GDD um, on, on Twitter. Um, and then my YouTube channel, um, GDD coaching, uh, yeah, uh, which, which can be linked from, from my, uh, from my Twitter. So yeah, those two places, probably the, probably the easiest. Um, and uh, there's some decent, decent debate uh, on, on both, which is, which is great. Uh, and, and that's that's probably the thing I enjoy the most. So, uh, yeah, if anybody wants to, wants to have a chat, then let me know. More than welcome. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, yeah, gee, it, it just leads me to say, just thank you so much for your time. Uh, not many would want to sit and chat performance analysis on a on a Monday evening. <laughs> yeah. park, but, uh, no, nothing better than that. No, I, I've I've fully enjoyed that, and I've I've took a lot from that as well, actually, to point to my own coaching. So uh, for me personally, uh, thank you so much. Some uh, some really interesting stuff there. And I'm pleasure. sure everyone listening there will have will have enjoyed it again. So, uh, yeah, gee, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for everyone who's uh, tuned in again today, and we will see you all next week. Fantastic. <laughs>